you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern, helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro. Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern, and you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode 26. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 26. Today I'm joined by guest co-host John Soares. John runs ProductiveWriters.com and is the creator of a course called Find Your Freelance Writing Niches, Make More Money for Less Work. I'll link you to both of those in the show notes. Today, John and I are going to talk about niches and specialties for freelance writers, why you might want to choose to specialize rather than work as a generalist, things to consider when picking a specialty, and then we'll tackle common concerns such as the belief that specialization can be too limiting for freelancers. Let's jump right in then with our pre-recorded chat. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you for agreeing to chat with me. I'm so happy to be here, Jen. Thanks for having me on. So we're going to chat today about freelance writing specialties and niches. And so I thought a good way to start it out would be for each of us to share what our specialties are and to let listeners know how we kind of stumbled into them or chose them. So why don't you go first and let us know about your two specialties. Okay, will do. I started out many, many years ago right around 1990 as an outdoors writer. I'm actually one of the very few people that started their writing career basically with a publishing contract from a traditional publisher to write a hiking guide on a region of Northern California where I lived at the time. I later went on to write two more books for that same publisher, the Mountaineers Books up in Seattle. From there, I branched out to writing articles on outdoors activities for magazines and newspapers. Given that, though, I still wasn't making as much money as I would like, and I needed another niche, so I expanded into writing college textbook supplements. I was working at the time as a lecturer in political science at two community colleges in Northern California, so it was a natural segue for me to start writing the supplements for college textbooks. And for those who don't know what textbook supplements are, they are the materials that help teachers teach better and help students learn better. For example, for teachers, they get instructor's manuals and those PowerPoint lecture outlines that you see in so many university classes now, and also test banks, which are where you get all those questions that students have to answer. For students, it's primarily student study guides and companion websites where they can go get quizzes and and learn more materials. It's the textbook supplements that have provided me with the vast bulk of my income over the last 25 years or so. That's been my main niche with the outdoors writing being a, a really a secondary niche for me. As we speak, I am slowly starting to do more writing in yet new niches. I've done some writing for businesses and nonprofits over the years. And I'm starting to do more of that because I'm really enjoying it, and it's a way for me to meet new people and also make some some good money. So that's basically my story. That's a great story. So now we know who to blame for all those awful questions on tests. 
Absolutely. I can tell you, <laughs> if you went through college, I wrote in so many disciplines, primarily in poli-sci and history, but a lot of geography and some of the earth sciences, probably somewhere along the way, you were answering some questions that I wrote. I just hope that they were clear and fair. Now, in my case, instead of focusing on niches, I focus more on a certain type of writing. So I generally refer to myself as a freelance business writer slash blogger. Um, now, as a professional blogger, that partly means I am publishing my own blogs, of which there are many, but it's also about blogging for clients. And for me, that is often ghostwriting for business owners. So they don't have time to run their business. We're talking small business owners here. And they need someone who can speak in their voice, who can represent their company, who can publish marketing and PR-oriented posts, as well as informational posts that help them stand out as experts in their field. So that's a big part of what I do. But on the business writing side, it goes beyond blogging. And this actually started from my work running a PR firm where I started out in music PR, but what I did was to promote my own PR firm, I launched a regional online publication promoting indie artists. And I started spending time in webmaster communities to learn how to better promote that website to attract more PR clients. And instead what happened was I realized all of these webmasters, they were kind of clueless about PR, and yet they wanted to use press releases and other PR tools. So I was in a position then where I had already started building a reputation in the community, so I started to teach them. And the next thing I knew, I was working with them. And they had a lot more money than musicians. So it made sense. Yes. <laughs> a lot more. So it made sense for me to transition a little bit in that I was still doing the PR work and the PR writing. But I started working, instead of for indie artists, I was working for independent business owners. These were mostly solopreneurs. And a lot of young people, actually there were a lot of college students who hired me who were breaking into online business at the time. And that was really exciting to watch some of the things that they were coming up with. But that's kind of how I got into what I do. Now, for me, it's more about project types. I do a lot of PR writing because I have a degree in public relations and I ran a PR firm. So that's where my primary area of expertise is. So press releases and blogging for a marketing and PR purpose is what I would consider my key specialty. But beyond that, I do take on other project types. I do white papers and case studies and occasionally ebooks for clients, for example. And for me, the key is combining this business-oriented writing with, you know, I have those primary projects and then I have projects that I take on less often. But I combine that with a specialty in a certain type of client, which for me is the small online business owners, where... I'm talking to people who are generally fairly tech-savvy. I find that I enjoy that work much more than working with mom-and-pop shops, for example, because there's so much online writing that involves in what I do. So that's kind of what I do. I'm a business writer and blogger who specializes in writing either about business or in a business capacity for small and online business owners and occasionally still creative professionals like authors and indie musicians. So that's how it happened. So as you know, you can see here, John and I were both able to 
tap into previous professional experience, him as a lecturer and me as a public relations professional, in choosing our niches to some degree. So that is one big option. But now, you know, we shared our stories. I think we should tell them why we both seem to agree that it's a good idea to choose a specialty or to choose a niche. And I'm going to let you start with that. What do you think are the biggest benefits over generalization? There are several benefits. For me, one of the biggest ones is that you simply just make more money. You make more money per hour because you are more in demand. As long as you pick the right niches, you're more in demand because you have a lot of expertise in your field. And clients that would hire you, they want somebody who knows exactly what to deliver. So they're going to come to you because uh, you've got that expertise. Um, so making a lot more money per hour, just having a high hour, hourly rate, is a really big one for me. Another big one is getting to do things that really uh, interest you. Like you were saying, you like to work with small online businesses. That's something that really interests you and jazzes you. And that's something you can do when you work in niches. You can pick a niche that you really like and you really enjoy, so your work is much more enjoyable. Also, something else, I'll to go back to that for just a second. I personally, I love to learn. I love to learn. I love knowledge. I love understanding how the world works. So for me, writing textbook supplements has been ideal. I have worked in so many different subjects and actually gotten to learn so much because I did this work. Uh, typically, when I do write a textbook supplement, I have to read the entire textbook. Oftentimes, I already know a lot of the material that's in there, but I don't know everything. So I'm always learning more and more. So that makes my, my work much more enjoyable. And then another benefit that comes with this, when you're making more money per hour, that means you can hit your minimum income targets for the month or for the year much easier, so then you have more free time to do whatever it is that you like to do in your free time. Exactly. What are your thoughts, Jen? I think you're dead on. I really do. You know, what I like to say on the blog is that people don't pay top dollar because you can string two sentences together. They pay top dollar for people who have that expertise. And yes, you will find writers who say, oh, but my clients say they need people who can write about everything. And yeah, there are clients like that. And they're usually the clients who are paying 20 bucks an hour or less. And yeah. you don't want to work for those clients or you shouldn't want to work for those clients. And the issue of what that $20 an hour actually is in freelance terms compared to an employee, that's a whole nother episode and you know, I have a pricing ebook that will be coming out soon. And in our previous episode, when I talked to Jake Poinier, he has an ebook on that topic. I will link you to it again in the show notes. But and I would just like to jump in here and say, I have read Jake's book about pricing your writing services, and uh, I, I think it's an excellent book. I highly recommend that. So there you go. Buy that book. So you set your rates right the first time and you don't look at those $20 an hour clients and think that they represent everything that's out there because they really don't. The clients who are paying 
the rates that a lot of us are charging, $50 an hour, $100 an hour, $150 an hour, more than that, they want someone who knows what they're talking about. They don't want somebody who can go to Wikipedia and read other blogs and rehash things. They need somebody who can talk from experience. They need someone who can point them to the best resources. They need people who know how to dig into the data and tell them what's going on in the industry because they don't always know. It's your job to educate the client, to educate the client's readers, and you can't do that as easily as a generalist. And people aren't going to necessarily trust that you can do that and pay you top dollar for it. So, yeah, specialty in money, that's, that's the big thing. Yes, and that's very important. When you have the expertise, you can also just get the work done faster. Let's say they're going to pay you $1,000 for a specific project. If you know what to do and you know exactly where to find the information and you've written many things like this before, you may be done in eight hours, let's say, or ten hours. So you're making 100 to $125 an hour. But if you haven't done that before, maybe it takes you 15 hours or 20 hours, then you're looking at $50 an hour. Exactly. And that's really important in bigger projects like the ebooks and the reports and white papers where you can end up spending an extraordinary amount of time on a single project. So you really want to maximize your time. And that actually brings me back to an example from my blog where I shared an example of what I was charging my lowest paying client at one point. He was someone I had worked for for six or seven years at that point, I believe. And I was so intimately familiar with the niche that I was able to crank out these blog posts, which were just, they were literally beginner level introductory blog posts on the subject for his readers. And I could crank them out really fast. And so, but when I mentioned the rate on a per post basis and why I hadn't changed that rate for that client, I remember somebody telling me my rates were peanuts and it was hysterical because I'm sitting there thinking, you have no idea what I'm making. I'm making $210 an hour working for that client, but you don't know that when you only look at the rates. Uh, per yeah, post. you may look and see, oh, you're getting X amount for a 400-word blog post, but if you can write that in 45 minutes or something, exactly. you know, or, or you know, whatever, that really makes a big difference. Exactly. Now, and you got to be careful with that, though, you know, because this is also the same argument that people make about content mills. Oh, well, I can write things so fast that $10 is fine. Well, first of all, $10 is never fine. $15, $20, that's not really fine. Because to make that work out at that $50, $100 hourly rate, you have to crank them out at that speed constantly. And that's when you start getting into burnout. Now, in this case, we were talking about a client where I did five blog posts in each group. So I could sit down, knock out one group, and then move on to other projects. So you don't want to rely on the quantity thing, but always factor in how much you're making per hour. And when you specialize, you know, that's your hourly rate. Like you said, it's going to go up. It's the whole work smarter, not harder principle. And, yes. you know, I live by that. That is so important. I'm all about earning as much as you can, doing as little as you can. <laughs> and I know it doesn't seem Me like too. It. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it sometimes because sometimes I work ridiculous hours because I'm bored or I need a distraction or I'm just really passionate about a project. But when it comes to client work specifically, I never let that take over my life. 
it's always about full-time income with part-time hours on that. And it's worked out really well. And it's because I target the high hourly rates, I specialize and people are willing to pay for that. But you know, even beyond the pay, you have, you know, you had mentioned you have this learning opportunity and you had a great example because you're working in an educational market that that's like, that sounds fascinating to me. That sounds like such an exciting gig actually. Um, so watch out. I might come invade your territory someday. Sounds <laughs> but, great. I'll help you out. <laughs> I wanted to bring up one other point about benefits of specializing, and that is you can really target your marketing, your marketing on those specific clients and specific companies and industries that can hire you to do what you do so well. You wind up spending less time on marketing and more time on writing, and that essentially means more money for you. You're overall going to have a higher rate of return for each hour that you spend total on your business. Now, John, did you cheat and look at my notes? Uh, no. That's actually that was actually the last thing on my list here was that you get to you have that ability to narrow the scope of your marketing, and yeah, I think that's incredibly important. And again, coming from that marketing and PR background, I know that you have to be really, really careful about spreading yourself too thin. So when you do have the smaller group that you're trying to reach and you can be really targeted and build a reputation where referrals get around more, that is incredibly important. Your generalist, well, those generalist clients generally don't know each other. You know, they're very different businesses. They're different kinds of publications. And it can be harder. People aren't spreading the word about you without you asking them for referrals or asking them for testimonials. And when your clients are out there doing the work for you, it makes your life a whole lot easier. And the narrower that group of clients is, the more likely it is that they are already familiar with each other, that they're going to see your work because they're checking out their competition, and you want that working for you. So, yes. Absolutely. I love getting an email, an unsolicited email, where somebody comes to me and says, John, uh, somebody else in this other division or this other company said that you're really great doing this. We have this big project. It pays this. Are you interested in doing it? Just like that. I didn't have to market them or do anything. They're just coming to me with a nice big project. Exactly. And they're the ones who are there. They're ready and willing to spend money. They're not going to argue with you so much about rates. Those are exactly the clients that you want. So you know, I want to go Absolutely. back to I want to go back to the learning opportunity that we were talking about, how you mentioned that with your niche and how well that works. And I think of that as a benefit really in any niche specialty because you get to really become the expert. You're not just a dabbler. You get to dig deeper into a topic than you might otherwise if you were generalizing where you only get to go so far before you have to move on to another topic. So, if you're writing about, I'm going to pick on Lori Widmer just because I like to pick on Lori Widmer. She specializes in the insurance industry. Well, you know, she's out there going to conferences in that industry. She's reading all the publications related to that industry, talking to the people who are working in that industry. She's really built a niche for herself, becoming an expert in this particular industry. And she wouldn't have gotten to go that deep in her learning had she not specialized. And I love that. For me, the 
the deeper I get to go into a topic, the more I get to know about it. That's one of my favorite things about specializing is just getting to spend that kind of intimate time with a particular topic or a particular industry, which for me is freelance writing mostly and blogging and then public relations. So yeah, I would like to point out that there's also a flip side to that where you need to be careful when you're picking niches you need to pick things that are interesting to you and that you enjoy doing because if you're not careful, you can wind up with a niche that doesn't interest you. Maybe it pays pretty well, but then there you are doing something. Uh, here's an example. I have a bachelor's degree in biochemistry. I worked in labs for a few years, in research labs. One potential opportunity or niche for me would be to write operations manuals for all that super technical equipment that biochemists and scientists use to test all the things they do in research. Each one of those pieces of equipment in a lab has a manual that says this is how you use this machine. Well, that wouldn't interest me very much at all. I wouldn't think like, oh, it's fun to press this button here, this happens, that, that, and that. To me, for me personally, that would just be incredibly boring. So you need to be careful when you're picking your niches. Start with things that you have some background in and know about, but that are also interesting to you. You don't want to get in a situation where you just wind up jumping into the first niche that you happen to get work in and then keep going and going and going, and then 20 years later, there you are, and maybe you've made money, but you didn't enjoy your process of making money. Let's say you're a college student. You're looking for a job. You can open up the classifieds or Craigslist or whatever and just start taking the first job and applying for that. But if it doesn't interest you, you're not going to enjoy that job very much. And especially if you're out of college and you're looking for a career, you want to think, what industries do I want to work in? What companies would I like to work for? What would I most like to do? And then go to those businesses and ask, are you hiring? Here's my resume, those sorts of things. So analogously, you want to do that with your freelance writing niches. Go for niches that interest you. Exactly. No, I agree completely there. Um, I happen to be lucky in that I love working for those small clients, and I love public relations. In one of the previous episodes where I believe I was talking to Princess Jones, I had mentioned that if I were to start over today, one option for me would be to choose to specialize in writing, doing marketing writing for the automotive industry. And that's because I have experience working in an auto shop. I also won a statewide marketing competition in automotive marketing. And so that would be a good place for me to go, to take my marketing copywriting background and that experience on the technical side and put it together. But the truth is, if I were to start over again today, I don't know that I would do that still, simply because I don't think that particular industry would keep my attention. Would it pay well? Probably, yeah. Um, but would I prefer that over working with small, innovative businesses? Probably not. Um, you know, that was a tough call for me when I moved from the music PR niche into working with the online business owners, where I was very lucky because I really loved working with musicians. It was so much fun. But Again, the money wasn't there. And you, you kind of need to find that balance between both. 
And I was lucky that I happened to love working with this new market just as much in a different way. It's definitely not the same, but if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't stick with it. And this is the reason I don't work with many corporate clients, like large corporate clients. Um, And when I do, it's usually because their marketing or PR firm hired me. So I have a middleman to kind of be a buffer. I don't like working with the large corporate clients. And that's not to say you shouldn't target them. You know, they can be lucrative and they can also be penny pinchers, just like small business owners. But it's just, I don't like that environment. I don't like the environment of the, you know, the, I don't like the atmosphere of having too many cooks in the kitchen where they need to have 10 different people weigh in on every little decision and constant meetings. That's not for me. I want nothing to do with that. If I wanted that, I would go back and work in an office. And I got out of that life for a reason. I wanted the freedom and the flexibility, and my client group now lets me have that. And and I just want to note, I think I also mentioned this in the episode with Princess or possibly with Yolanda, was something I had read from another freelancer recently where their mentor had told them, Something on the lines of don't work for small businesses because they can't pay professional rates. And that is such complete and utter bullshit. And the problem was they couldn't earn more than 20 bucks an hour targeting these clients. And all I could think was, well, sweetheart, then you're doing something wrong. Because it's not that they're not out there paying it. It's that you're not targeting the right kinds of companies or you're not selling yourself in the right way to appeal to the ones who have the budget. And if you're only going out there looking at job boards, for example, then, yeah, it might not look like a lucrative market to you. But when you're out there introducing yourself to these business owners in other ways and you're finding the ones who have the budget, who aren't advertising on Craigslist, who aren't advertising on forums, who aren't advertising on job boards even, then you're going to open up all kinds of new doors. So when you're evaluating a niche or a certain client type that you might want to specialize in, Keep that in mind. First of all, don't ever have let one person tell you that this market will never pay well because they're wrong. What they're saying is they couldn't get it to pay well for them. They couldn't make it work. And that's fine. Let them go specialize somewhere else. But if you really want to work with that group, then you need to do the digging. You need to find out what segment of that market can afford to pay you and find out how to reach them because there is a segment that can. You just have to put the work in up front. I should also note it's important to know what you plan to charge before you try to choose a niche or industry or client group to specialize in because you need to be able to see if they can support that. And if they can't, then you need to find a way to tweak things, um, to tweak your target or to tweak how much you think you need to earn or your number of billable hours, but something's got to change. So always know what you need to earn first because you don't want to start working in a new niche, dedicate yourself to learning about it and marketing yourself only to find out, you know, shit, this isn't going to pay the bills and have to start over. So you want to minimize that start over part as much as you can. Exactly. And there are ways to, there are websites online, there are books and things like that and resources that let you know roughly what you can earn in certain niches and for certain types of work. Yeah, it's really important to do that. I've I've read people have said, oh, it's really hard to get smaller nonprofits to pay you good money. That hasn't been the case with me. I've done some projects recently for local nonprofits that have paid quite well. 
They just have to be big enough that they have enough of a budget that they've got some money, a few thousand bucks that they can dedicate towards projects for you to do. But it's really just a matter, as you were just saying, Jen, of finding the right people if you're doing this locally. I just published a blog post yesterday about networking locally. There are so many businesses and nonprofits that are where you live that need writing done. There's a business that needs high-quality website content that you could do, for example. There's all sorts of things that are out there. So small does not necessarily mean that they don't have the money to pay you well. Exactly. And what I like to point out when people have that concern is you have to keep in mind that a corporate client, well, first of all, they don't always have the money to throw around either. And one of the issues that I've come up with with the larger corporate clients is not that the company doesn't have money, but that the particular department that wants to hire a writer doesn't have money. And exactly. I've come up against that too, where they're given a certain amount of money to spend on all of this stuff or for this particular thing, and oftentimes they can't, they can't increase it. They just can't. Whereas a small business they're much more likely to say, oh, we'd only budgeted 2000 for that, but after we've spoken with the writer and the writer made this really strong case about what this can do for us and how important it is, yeah, we're willing to spend 4000 now, for example. Exactly, and that's why I like working with the actual business owners themselves. Those are the people who are making the call. They're the ones who are holding the purse. Yeah. So if I talk to them and they realize, okay, I wasn't realistic about this, or maybe if I expand this project like she suggested – we can see a far bigger benefit, they can pull the trigger. They can say, okay, yeah, go with that and not have to wait on meetings and hope that somebody can make a case to some board to get the budget adjusted. And that has generally not been a problem for me. If they need to increase the budget, then they need to increase the budget. But in most cases, I don't even find they need to because what I find is that a small business owner is much more careful about where their money is going. They know that they only have that limited budget and they need it done right the first time. They can't throw money away like a big business might be able to take risks on things. So they're willing to pay that expert to come in to do it right and they're willing to pay more up front for that than another company might be who want to bring in a whole bunch of generalists to come and fill their website with things and then they get penalized by Google a year later and they're like, oh, shit, that was a bad idea. Oh, well, let's try something else. So small business owners, they don't have that luxury most of the time. So because the money is tighter, they're much more careful about how they're spending it and they have a bigger appreciation for the expertise that comes with being a specialist. So in that case, it's actually easier sometimes to get them to pay top dollar than the bigger businesses. So that's been my experience. Now, it's not always that way. Obviously, some big corporate clients will pay top dollar for specialists. And there are some small business owners who simply are cheap and they think, well, I can't invest in my business. I don't want to invest in my business. And some just really haven't thought through the budgeting or they didn't know what to expect. So it goes both right. ways in both groups. That's all. Yes, and I have to say I've seen it both ways. Most of the work that I have done in the textbook supplements field has been for very large multi-billion dollar corporations like Thurston Education and McGraw-Hill and, and many of the other big ones. 
And oftentimes they do pay really well and they're willing to say, we need this done, we need it done really well, you're an expert, you can do this well, and we will pay you really good money to do this. But then I've also been with these same corporations where different time, different department, different budget situation, different profit situation for the company, and then they're saying, oh, well, now we only have X amount for this, and we can't increase it, and I have to say, no, it's not enough. That doesn't meet my minimum uh, my minimum hourly rate to, to, to do a project like this. Yeah, and, you know, you, it, that's odd that it actually happens in the same company, but, yeah, you know, we're talking about the department issue, and that's a great example. You know, sometimes they don't have the flexibility, and sometimes they will, so you just have to know the market. So, yeah, and also with textbook publishing companies, sometimes they're if they're sometimes they're losing money. If they have a year where they lost money or their profits are way down, then suddenly the CEO is saying, "Ah, oh, we have to cut costs so we can try to raise profits." And short term, that might work, but that means sometimes they will give lower budgets to various departments to pay freelancers. Yeah. So you know, we've been talking about different things to consider when choosing a niche. I just want to touch on a few other things that I think should be considered. We don't have to go into as much depth over them, but, you know, not only, you know, you had talked about focus on focusing on something that interests you because you don't want to get bored with it over time. A, you know, that's really important. And yes, the money is important. And the knowledge you have, like in our situations where we came from a professional background that we could put towards a niche, that's important. But beyond that, you know, think about what you want to, you know, if you don't have that kind of a knowledge, then what do you want to learn about? What are you willing to invest the time into really digging into as far as a niche? Because you can build a niche for yourself from scratch. And But before you do that, you also need to consider the demand in that niche. Is there really enough demand to justify you dedicating yourself to it so you don't want to go too narrow? And then you have to consider things like the competition in that niche, if it's a saturated market or one that is wide open to competition. Um, in my case, with the online press release writing specifically, there was literally no one targeting those independent online entrepreneurs, like those like webmasters, when I started. There was no one there for them. So I made that niche for myself. And if you can find a situation like that, oh, my God, take it, because there's nothing like it. Making your niche is far better than jumping into one which already has established competition. And... Then the final thing is, you know, I kind of touched on this was knowing whether or not that niche then can support your target rates. So you want to be interested in it. You want to have some knowledge or be willing to learn. You want to make sure there's demand, make sure it's not oversaturated, and make sure that your rates fit within what that market can bear. So that's what I would consider the fundamental base of what you need when you're choosing a niche. And do you have anything to add to that? I think you you really nailed it with that. There's also, is a niche saturated or not? There's certain things like so many freelance writers now really focus on writing blog posts. I'm going to write blog posts for businesses. There's a lot of businesses out there that need a lot of blogging. Um, But there are a lot of freelance writers that think that freelance writing is just primarily writing blog posts. Seriously, I've seen freelance writers that they just seem to think that the beginning ones, they just seem to think, well, freelance writing is primarily about writing blog posts online, isn't it? (laughs) That said, there's 
there are, and you are an example. I know other people who write blog posts for a living and make really good money doing it. So even if it's a big niche or a small niche or you think, oh, there's a lot of competition, the cream will rise to the top in almost all situations. That What that means, though, is if you are in a niche where there's a lot of competition, you're going to have to be really, really good in all aspects of your game. You're going to have to be a really, really good writer, and you're also going to have to be a really, really good marketer. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you brought up the issue of blogging, and I should just say that one thing I've noticed is that New freelancers, they jump in and they focus so much on guest posting. But if you're focusing on guest posting and what are called paid guest posts, then you're not even scratching the surface of the blogging market that's really open out there. And even worse, if you're going to places like ProBlogger and you're looking at their job board, will you find some gigs that pay okay? Sure, you might find a gig or two that pay 100 or $200 a post sometimes but they also get massive amounts of competition applying for them, you are not going to find the best blogging gigs by going out there and doing these things. You do not need to write a crap load of guest posts to get your name out there. You do not need to look for advertised gigs. The really high-paying blogging gigs, the one that those of us are working in where we're getting paid $500 a post, $1,000 a post, that's often ghostwriting for starters. So you have to be willing to step aside from a byline if you really want the highest level of pain blogging because you're going to be representing a business. It's not niche blogging where you're writing informational content like how-tos and beginner-level material here. We're talking you know, industry insights. And you're going to find that in these ghostwriting gigs. You're going to find that by looking for companies that don't have blogs yet but would benefit from one and pitching them on setting it up for them and dealing with the content strategy and then taking it from there where you might have the reins on that blog completely. Or you're going to find a blog where a company tried to blog and maybe they stop and you're going to pitch them. You're going to reach out to them. You're going to find them in some other way or they're going to find you. So always make sure your website's up to snuff and being visible in search engines. But you're not going to find them in the same places that all these other new bloggers are finding gigs. If you want the really high-paying blogging gig, you need to dig deeper. And they are there, and there is no shortage of high-paying blogging work out there. They're just And you think about it, how many blogging clients do you really need to support a business? If you can get four or five, blogging is not a one-off kind of thing, which is another reason you should avoid those paid guest blog sites and focus on ones that really need real bloggers, not just someone to come in as a guest spot, but someone who's going to come in there and write regular content. That's the biggest perk of working as a freelance blogger. It's an ongoing gig. There is a never-ending need for fresh content on a blog. So you only need a handful of clients. So do the digging. Do not be one of those freelance bloggers who get sucked in thinking that $100 a post is a top-level gig. It's not. It's not even close. So dig deeper, and you'll be amazed at what's out there. But, yeah, dig. Freelance blogging, it's a great specialty. It really is. It's even better if you specialize in a particular industry or a topic area where you can narrow your market down and not just be a generalist blogger. But, yeah, dig deep. 
always, and it's in every niche, dig deep, because the best markets are not the ones that you and everybody else sees when you're out there doing a preliminary search. So let's move on then. Let's talk about something from your course, and that is having more than one specialty. You know, I think it's so important that new writers understand that when we say specialize, we don't mean you have to specialize in one very specific thing. In your case, you're actually the exception to what I would consider the rule. What I normally tell new writers is if you want to choose multiple specialties, do as best you can at least, try to choose niches where the markets are similar so that you get the most bang for your buck or your time in marketing. So now, like I said, you're the exception because you're talking about outdoor markets and educational supplements. And they're totally, totally different. Yeah. Yeah. It does make sense when you're in one niche to go into a related niche. That's the easiest way to expand your your niches. Um, it's a very, very smart way to do it. For me, it just happened to work out. It's just the circumstances of my life. I'd always loved to hike. So I started out writing a book on hiking trails And frankly, in the outdoors writing niche, that's one of those niches where if you are trying to write like articles for magazines and all that sort of stuff, it's it's pretty saturated and it's not that easy to make a really, really high living at it. So I was looking, what else can I do? I've written books, I'm writing magazine articles and newspaper articles, what else can I do as a freelance writer? So I went to what I, I looked at. Well, what are what's my experience and what's my job? Uh, I'm working as a political science instructor at a college, and I have a master's degree in political science. So what's happening in the education market? So that's how I I jumped into my my second niche there. But it's definitely important to have more than one niche and to always be open to moving into new niches that can pay you well and that are interesting to you, niches can change and shift over time. If you're writing about uh, you know, some certain type of technology, that's your main thing. Well, if that technology phases out over time, then your niche may be fading, for example. Or it could just be in a certain industry, suddenly there's just, or over time, there's just not as much money in that industry and there's not as much money to pay freelance writers. So you want to be ready to shift. An example of this, people who write for magazines, like, oh, my full-time, my main thing is I write articles for magazines. There are a few people, and I mean very few people, who are quite successful at this and make close to a six-figure income every year. But given the changes in the magazine industry, they're not paying the rates that they were paying um, on average. They're not paying the rates that they were paying 20 years ago or so, and there seems to be far fewer than them. I wrote magazine articles in the 1990s for Via Magazine, which is a major, it's, it's published by the AAA, the AA Automotive Association. I don't know if it's all over the country, but it's a very big deal in the Western United States. It paid a dollar a word. I wrote for Sunset Magazine, got a dollar a word. That's not so common now, and there's just not as many gigs that are paying that. So it's something to think about. I looked at that in the 90s and decided I don't want to stick with 
I don't want to rely too much on outdoors writing. So by the late 1990s, I had actually transitioned out of writing magazine articles and newspaper articles. I had a newspaper column for a while, a monthly column that ran in six newspapers in Northern California. That phased out, and I decided it wasn't worth the effort that I was putting in trying to get these magazine assignments. So I worked on expanding my textbook supplements business. That boomed and really blossomed for me, and I didn't need to expand beyond that into even other niches. So that's been overall suiting me quite well. But that's just an example of being aware that niches can shift and that you need to be able to shift too to keep your income up. And you know, that's a great point. And I want to go back to we were just talking about blogging because this is true even with online markets like that. The issue you'll find as a freelance blogger is that every time Google's algorithms change and certain blogs start to take a hit, it's amazing how fast those clients' budgets change. So, for example, one of my clients I'd worked with for about seven or eight years and you know, nothing but good things to say, always had a lot of work across several sites, brought me in to consult when he launched new ones. Well, all of a sudden, he got slammed after a Google update. And he just didn't have the budget anymore. He had to go with cheaper writers. And I thankfully had built a business where I had other clients and I had other things I could move into. So I had other blogging clients already. And I was able to simply start taking on more white papers, for example, and case studies. And I had clients who were already looking for that work. Whereas if you only focused on blogging, and you're writing for a few of these blogs that happen to take a hit. And sometimes it's really of no fault of their own. It's just the fluctuations of search engines. And when they take a traffic hit, they take an income hit. And when they take an income hit, that's a hit to their budget. So it's not always that they did something wrong. It's just that the rules have changed. And you're the one who ends up paying in the end. So you always want to diversify and you always want to have some kind of a backup plan. What are you going to do if that gig's not there tomorrow? Because when it comes to a business that relies on something like Google rankings, it really might not be there tomorrow. So always, you know, John had a great point that you want to keep that in the back of your head and know how can I take this experience and turn it towards something else and make sure you're reaching multiple niches or multiple different types of clients. So, yeah, while I do like specializing in a certain type of client, for example, for me, that's small online business owners, I'm not only focusing on blog owners. You know, I'm also focusing on people who need other kinds of writing for those similar types of businesses that are not as dependent on Google, like the press releases and the white papers for the more technical companies. So I don't have to reach out to a completely new group of people, but I have other project types that I specialize in where I can continue to bring the money in without panicking all the time that things are going to change. So you definitely don't want to be at the mercy of any third party like that. So yeah, you can have, you know, a primary, specialty, secondary niches and combine them. You know, ideally maximize your marketing time by keeping similar groups if possible. Um, it's not necessary, but if possible, it's a good way to go. So Yeah, it so certainly makes sense to do that. Yeah, but what happens then if we're, you know, you're in a specialty for a while, let's say, and you realize maybe something does happen. You know, maybe suddenly your client doesn't have the budget anymore. The magazine market just changed. The blogging industry just changed. And all of a sudden, it doesn't suit you anymore. It's not bringing in your target rates, for example. 
well, then it might be time to change specialties. So, so John, let me just pose it to you then, you know, what would you say are some warning signs that it's time to start looking into new specialties or some sort of a tweak on what you're doing to be ready for that kind of adaptation when you need to make it? Key warning signs would be, number one, it gets more difficult to find gigs. You're having to market more to get the work that used to come a lot easier. Now you're having to send out a lot more queries, more phone calls. However you do your marketing, you're having to do much more of it just to get the same amount of work at rates that you like. And then another one, which is a very big red flag, is you start seeing, ah, in this industry, the rates that they're paying are dropping. I'm having a really hard time getting my minimum rate now. Yeah. That's when you really have to start thinking. Is You have to ask yourself, is it anything that I have done? And it could be. It could be, but probably not. If you're continuing to do really good work and you're continuing to market then you've got to look at that as the market telling you something. If you're seeing this, before you think, oh, I'm definitely going to switch my niche, the signs are on the wall, maybe do one really big marketing push. Look out in your niche for markets that you either haven't contacted or haven't contacted for a while and just say, I'm going to spend a good day or two just really marketing myself to see if this is just a, like a short-term dip or just um, probability variations and it just happens to be a strange dip that it's just a little blip on the radar screen and it's going to turn itself around. I would definitely do that. But if you're seeing over the course of many months or a year or two that things are not going well in this niche anymore, yet you're still marketing yourself really well, then you really have to think it's time to shift to another niche. And that's why it's important to always have more than one niche so you're not just doing one thing and then something happens to that one thing, that one niche, and then suddenly your income can plummet to next to nothing and then you're in trouble. Yeah. And beyond what's going on in the market too, also keep an eye on your own interest. If you find that you're getting really bored and you don't enjoy the work anymore. And that's not to say that you're always going to love what you're doing every single day. But if you find that you're getting depressed in your job, well, then why the hell are you freelancing? You know, you could go work somewhere else for steady pay and benefits. Um, if you want to hate your job, there's plenty you can take. But if you find that you're hating your job freelancing when you're the one in charge, I think that's a really big warning sign that, you know, something has to change, that maybe this isn't the niche that you thought it was, it's not for you, and you can find something that you're passionate about that does pay well, and I, I don't know, for me that's important, maybe you don't care about being passionate, but to me that's very, very important, that I like what I'm doing, so that would be the big thing for me, and you know what, that's one of the reasons I originally got out of PR consulting, I found that I was getting more frustrated and oddly not with clients, but frustrated with others in the PR industry and how slow they were to grasp certain elements of online PR, especially blogging as an example. And it was just hard to be in that industry. It was hard to listen to it all the time. I just said, oh, to hell with this. I'm just going to write. And I made just as much money writing, so it didn't hurt me in any way. I actually made more. 
because I didn't have to worry about billable hours as far as consulting calls go. I actually make more per hour writing. Um, oddly, now I'm going back to consulting just a little bit, not aggressively. But, you know, it's kind of I'm realizing now that certain elements of the industry have caught up to the kinds of markets that I work with. And I was lucky that I was working with markets that were ahead of the curve, you know, online business owners who are used to these online tools and musicians who are amazing when it comes to online PR. And it took everybody a little while to catch up. And now that people are really digging in and having more meaningful conversations, I find it a much more interesting place to be again. And so, yeah, I'm getting a little bit back into the consulting area. But I wouldn't do that if I didn't think I'd have an interest. And that's not to say that writing itself has become boring. It's not. But you have to do what interests you. You have to do what's going to push your career in the way that you want it to go. For me, you know, that means I mentioned on the blog recently I'm planning to go back to school. I want to get my master's degree and probably my Ph.D. after that to focus on research and publication. So it's really important to me that I keep myself as active as possible in that PR industry and working with media. So... For me, that's the end goal. You know, there has to be something that I'm working towards to keep my interest, and that's what it is for me. For you, it might be something else. Um, but I also want to say that while it's okay to change your specialty or to change your niche, you want to be careful that you don't become a niche hopper. You know, you don't. I knew one writer, for example, who I felt like every time I talked to her, she was a quote-unquote specialist in something new. And it was like, really? Like, you, you, the niches were so different. There's no way you can be an expert in all of these things. And what, what happened basically is she expected quick results and she wanted to be earning a lot of money within just a few months. And that isn't the way it happens when you're going into a new specialty with no experience. You have to be willing to put the time in. So, again, this is a good reason to have an interest in the niches that you're choosing because you do need to be dedicated and you do need to stick with it for a while to really know if it's going to work for you. You're not going to be an overnight success in any niche. So don't keep hopping from one to the other because then you're going to be a perpetual beginner and that isn't good for your career any more than being a generalist is. So you might as well just be a generalist, honestly, at that point. You know, if you're just going to hop from one thing to another, then keep your options open. So, well, that's all I really had. So, was there anything you wanted to add, John? I think we've hit a lot of really important points that will help people to pick good niches and be successful in them. Okay. So, just to rehash the things that we've covered then, we talked about, you know, how choosing a niche to specialize in can lead to more lucrative freelance writing jobs. Basically, the idea is to let you earn more while working fewer billable hours. And you should remember that you don't have to choose just one specialty or one industry to focus on. You can specialize in not only those industries, but also different project types or client types or some combination thereof. And you can have more than one specialty. And it's okay to change that specialty later. So don't feel like choosing a specialty limits you. And that's one of the biggest concerns I hear from new writers is they're terrified of writing themselves into a box that they can't get out of. And that is not what specialization is about. So I think that's all we have for you today then. I want to say a big thank you to John for stopping by today to chat about these niches and specialization. 
And you can check back next week when I go back to our community question series. But in the meantime, if you have a question that you'd like me to tackle in a future episode, you can submit your writing-related questions through the contact form at allindywriters.com slash podcast by emailing me at jen, that's J-E-N-N, at allindywriters.com or by leaving me a voicemail at 484-575-1345. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindywriters.com slash podcast slash 26, and you can also access this podcast, audio blog post, and related audio productions by visiting freelancetheater.com. You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern, a freelance theater production. Freelance theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.